Well, hello, everybody. This is James in London. Nathan in Colorado. And I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And we are Friends in Formation. This is a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening, learning, and helping one another go deeper with God. We'd love for you to join the conversation. Please email your question to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. We'll read every question and answer as many as we can. Okay, I've got our first question today, and this comes to us from Joan. And here it is. Between intensively reading through the Bible in a year, or alternatively, meditating on a single verse for an entire week, how do you approach the Word of God? Either I feel like I'm skimming it to get through large portions, or I feel like I'm hardly consuming any of it. Mm. I'd love to hear how the three of you balance this out. That is such a good question. It is a good question. Yeah, I like it. Oh, and could I just say how much I appreciate the heart that this question comes from? Mm. Joan sounds Mm -hmm. like somebody I would love to hang out with, someone who is obviously wanting to interact with the Word of God and wondering how best to do that. God bless you, Joan. So glad you wrote to us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just have a stab at this, and um, having had a lot of exposure, because one of my jobs in the past was to run the British Bible Society, and people expect me to have all the answers, of course, (laughs) on Scripture, which I haven't got. But often the phrase comes to me, and people say to me, how to let the Bible speak or how to hear Scripture. Now, of course, I understand what they're saying is to hear God speak. At least that's what I'm hoping, because it's very important in engaging with the Scriptures that the intent is to hear God Mm. speak. And so often it's let the Bible speak, when of course it is, of course it is, and why should we argue with it? But I think there's a subtle and important distinction. The entry requirement for us engaging with Scripture is hunger, hunger Mm. for God. It's Mm. not academic understanding. It's not how many times you've read it. It's not are you ordained or you're not ordained, a minister or not a minister. It's hunger. And that's a very important element in it. Hungry for what? Hungry to hear God. Hungry to have a relationship with God. And so often people think that if we just cram our heads with as much exposure to it, of course it's going to have some impact on us. It could be you know, helpful. But it, it really does. It's so much more important to come um, you know, hungry. And when that happens, it's not the amount we consume. It's not the amount of calories we can eat our way into with Scripture. <laughs> it's about the quality of their interaction. So we're, we're reading for relationship, not just you know, head understanding. I think that's where I want to start this discussion. I like that. Rochelle, you got thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I... I have never heard it put exactly like that, James, and I really like your analogy of hunger, partly because I think we can so easily relate to the idea of hunger on a physical level, and we can think in terms of our 
of our needs, just as we need food, we need to interact, to hear the voice of God, to learn more. But the truth is, our hunger doesn't always look the same, right? I mean, Joan, for instance, said sometimes she's not sure whether she should be just trying to read through the Bible in a year or whether she should be meditating on one verse for a week. And I think if you start from that place of hunger, the the answer maybe can be all of the above or whatever satisfies your hunger at, at, at the time. Because sometimes what what you do need is just simply to take in large amounts of the scripture. And sometimes you need to just sit with some small part so that it penetrates your the deepest recesses of your soul. So I really, I really like that analogy. Yeah, these are good. These are good pieces. I think the answer I want to give as well is yes. Like I, I think both and there's there's great benefit in both. She's asking directly, what do what what do we do? <laughs> I'm much more on the small chunk. Um, I'll have seasons or uh, where I'll read through large pieces, but I personally will work with smaller texts and sit with them for a day, a week, or or a month. Now, part of that's just my own bias. I'm a slow reader, and I don't like skimming things. I really want to kind of kind of be in it. What I've found helpful is just to ask, how should I approach? scripture this year or this this month or this week and when we come with that posture of openness and hunger i think god's quite faithful to let us know how we should interact and what would be the most helpful well yes i think you're right there absolutely i think you're asking him what do you think which is something i ask him a lot about lots of things so what do you think what do you think and i'm trying to hear him speak to me even in that and um what can be so harmful is getting the sort of legalistic aspect of this. I mean, isn't it so often in the Christian walk that what is given to us as a grace, we turn into a law? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it just a classic opposition tactic? Here's a lovely thing. It's called Scripture. It's called the Old Testament, the New Testament. You know, there's the the whole, the richness and variety. You know, it's a wonderful piece. It's the literature that everybody loves. It's been formative of our culture. It's full of wisdom, goodness, love, and truth. I know what. Let's mess it all up and make (laughs) it a law. (laughs) And beat up on ourselves and beat up on everybody else and say, have you had your quiet Mm -hmm. time today? And we just have to try and get away from this incredible imposition. So read it at whatever speed is you know, helpful and don't beat up on yourself. But everybody has this incredible expectation of what the Bible must be and must do. And you must only come to it pure or you, I, I don't know the theology behind this and I haven't got all the answers to it. And, and it completely drains us of that encounter and coming to us as encounter. I mean, it's like so many of these things. It's not about how much we've consumed. It's about the quality of the engagement. I like your point, Rochelle, it's what's helpful today. And um, and all our spiritual practices need to be, be influenced by how you're feeling. How are you feeling? You know, have you had a bad night's sleep? Have you got a 
cold? Has your spouse been up all night? I mean, you know, we, we address it in that way. We, we take the heat out of it. We take the expectation out and we just come as we are. And I think that will help yeah. us a bit. And you use the word, both of you use the word grace. My approach to the Bible has been for the past 15 years or so deeply impacted by a project, a Renovari project that I know that Richard Foster and Dallas Willard and others went into kicking and screaming. <laughs> they were approached by their publisher to do a, not a new translation of the Bible, but an addition, a study Bible. It was a labor of love, but the product of that, the Renovari Spiritual Formation Bible, it's, it's, it's the new Revised Standard Version. It's not not a new translation. It's not a paraphrase of the scriptures. It just is a study Bible with the idea of spiritual formation as its guiding principle. And reading the introduction to that study Bible has been one of the most helpful things to me to be able to approach the scriptures as this gift of love from God, this grace instead of this hammer or this obligation. Listen to this one little paragraph from that introduction. God, in sovereign grace and outrageous love, has given us a written revelation of who He is and what His purposes are for humanity. And God has chosen to accomplish this great work through His people on earth. This written revelation now resides as a massive fact at the heart of human history. There is simply no book that is remotely close to achieving the significance and influence of the Bible. It's a gift from God. And when I think of the Bible in that way, rather than this is something I've got to do, but instead, if I look at the life of Jesus, And I see how he talked with his friends and how often he quoted the scriptures. Well, even even when he was tempted by Satan, his very answers were quotations from scriptures. When we look at his last words on the cross, one of his last words was quoting a psalm. I mean, his mind was just saturated with the scriptures as they existed in his day the Jewish scriptures that he'd grown up learning. That's so much of what formed him. And this was Jesus Christ, the son of the living God in human form, who knew, who understood that the scriptures are a gift from God to the world. So when I start thinking in terms of this gift that's been offered to me, then I can come to the scripture with that both-and kind of approach. But in particular, the discipline probably that's meant the most to me is actually not reading through the Scripture in a year or meditating on one verse for a week, but memorizing passages of Scripture. That's the discipline that's actually, I think it may just be because I'm so hard-headed, you kind of have to chisel things in granite (laughs) to get them to stick with me. So memorizing passages of scripture has 
been the most helpful thing to me. In fact, I was just going back over earlier today. I was going back over a passage that I memorized a number of years ago, Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Just just the work of memorizing that passage has been transformative in my own life. But it's not because I'm a good memorizer. It's because this is the Word of God. It's active because it is the sword of the Spirit of God. It's used by the Spirit of God to transform my life, like all the disciplines. I do love the Bible, and I would highly recommend that Renovari Study Bible for anyone who wants to engage with the Scriptures more as a gift. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful essay, and I I think it's got some wonderful things. I think it's in that essay that Talos Willard said, it's a blessing that no section of the church owns the original text of the right? Bible. Absolutely. I think, I think it's quite a we'd just fight about it, wouldn't we? <laughs> that's right. As to, as to well, we own it because we're this church or that church, and we're gonna tell you what it's about. I love the idea, I love the understanding that prayer is communication with God about what we're doing together. That's the understanding that's been said to me, that prayer is communication with God about what we're doing together. And the point is, if you're struggling in prayer, it's the doing together bit that we need to be thinking about. Because if you're not doing very much with God... (laughs) You won't have much to say. (laughs) Then you haven't got a lot of things to to talk to him about. I feel that's the same with, you know, Scripture... You know, scripture is at its best when it's part of an interactive relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we're struggling with the Scripture, if we can work at the interactive relationship with God, you find that actually the Scriptures really help because you come you know, hungry mm-hmm. because you're working on this or working with that. It's an interactive relationship with God, and whatever bit of Scripture you're working on, you read it in the context of an interactive relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So get that word. On the particular point of Joan's very good question, I tend to use, I'm going to be careful to say, the, the more precise translations for the detailed you know, study, the verse by verse. So the NRSV, New Revised New Standard Version, or one of the other more versions that are more precise. And then I'll use the more freer translations for the major chunks you know mm-hmm. if i'm doing a book or a, even beyond that and i found that's helpful because i'm you know, speeding my way because i'm trying to get an overview of what is happening and i found it really helpful all of those ways and you know, change it up you know change what you do change how you do it as, as well maybe one last piece i'll add rochelle i'm same way memorization's been really helpful for me but I got to put a huge caveat that is not going to make much sense. And that's that I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the performance of it. Mm. If I actually memorize, I just try to, and I mm-hmm. work with it. And when I say I'm worse than you, <laughs> I mean, it. <laughs> like, I really am not proficient, at, but I don't, I, I just, I just don't pay attention to that. I'm just working mm-hmm. with it and writing it and, and reciting it. And man, and then it just pops up in places throughout mm-hmm. my life. It's yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Right? Psalm 119, 
There we go. If you're looking for something to guide you in reading the Bible, just read through the 119th Psalm. There's a lot there. Yes, it's a light unto our path, lamp unto our feet. But the idea of hiding it in our hearts, yeah, it's a good place for God's Word to be. Now, let's move that on a bit, because there's a bridge now to the next area we want to talk about. We have had, and we're so glad to have several individuals asking us about tricky issues within Scripture, but particularly Mm. tricky sections of Scripture. It's been great to receive people's comments of, now, I'm struggling here, and I'm struggling here, and I'm struggling here. And it's as if people have been storing up the most (laughs) difficult, (laughs) difficult bits of the Bible and throwing them in our direction. So we wanted just to have a word about that because we won't quote individuals, but there's quite a few of them. And we wanting to ask and to have a discussion about, so how do we handle that when a difficult section of scripture, verse or chapter or um, you know, incident happens? I love your word, James. You didn't call them problem passages or difficult issues. You called them tricky And that's probably a really good way for us to think about that. I mean, these are passages from, we just talked about the Word of God, right? They're difficult for us to understand, but that doesn't make them of no value. They're just tricky. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a great Britishism for us. I can jump in here. And maybe the first thing to say is don't don't be afraid. Mm. And we don't have to defend things. We're approaching it with an open posture and learning and trying to to work with it. Do you guys know the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Mm, yeah. I find yep. that so helpful um, in a lot of areas, but particularly here. And basically, it's four ways of knowing, and, and they are scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. So in working with challenging biblical texts, you know, starting with that scripture, what does what does scripture say about itself? How do I kind of view it in its entirety? And usually there's a, a lot of helpful kind of directions in that as we're uh, looking at it, it, it as a whole, uh, even though it was not written as a whole. And then tradition, right? What have faithful followers of Jesus been saying about this or working with this through through the ages? Um, and not that that's necessarily always going to be going to be right, but it's extremely helpful place to start. And then experience: what has been my experience with God and and in living my life? Uh, and then this last one, which I think was a little controversial that he put in here, is is reason mm-hmm. and the idea that no. we've been given a brain and that's mm-hmm. a gift, this mm-hmm. tool. And so uh, it, it is not a virtue to shut it off, <laughs> rather something mm-hmm. quite helpful. And so working with that and pressing in with that and when there are pieces that just do not make sense, uh, not to give up, to uh, keep 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 at it. Well, and Nathan, I think that relates really well to the first thing you said, which was don't be afraid. I do think Mm -hmm. that sometimes very, very well-intentioned Christians are afraid of using their reason. 
they, they, they fear that they might stumble upon something that is contradictory to the Word of God. It is helpful to me to remember that all truth is God's truth. If something is true, it is because God says that it's true. So we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna run into a truth that is contradictory to the heart of God. So there is no reason to be afraid. Sometimes fear gets instilled in people as a means of control, I think. One of the things that's most helpful to me with regard to these tricky passages is remembering that the Bible as we have it, which is a wonderful book usually in our libraries, but it's actually a collection of 66 books. The Bible's more like a library of books, and some of them are books of law, some are books of history, some are books of poetry, some are books of wisdom, some are the chronicles of the people of God, some are ways that people have stumbled, some are our, um, our letters from teachers. So there's no one-size-fits-all approach to studying the Bible, except for perhaps don't be afraid and be open-minded and remember that this is a gift from God. So I really like when I'm encountering parts that are difficult for me to understand. I like as a resource, the Bible Project. Are you guys familiar with the Bible Project? couple of guys in Oregon, I think, one of whom is um, PhD in biblical languages, started a number of years ago. I think maybe they started by making videos explaining books of the Bible, and it, it's um, enlarged into a much larger pro- project than just videos. But they do a good job of reminding us that the Bible is this library of books, and the Bible tells a unified story that all points to Jesus. So that's really helpful to me to remember that that it's all in in different ways. These books of the Bible and all these passages point us to Jesus. So I start with the heart of God, and that leads me to God with us, to the great gift of Jesus becoming man, learning the scriptures, interpreting the scriptures, teaching the scriptures. Some things are just settled for me when I remember that that great love that God has and that I'm never going to find anything contradictory to God's love when it comes to interpreting a, a difficult passage. makes it easier for me to rest when I don't understand. And building on that point, which I think is really, really good, um, helpful, is to read the bits we don't understand out of the bits we can mm-hmm. understand you know when you come across something that's hard read it in the context of things you do mm-hmm. understand that you do know you know if you've got something you think that can't be right and how could god have let that happen and how did he why did he behave at that okay that's a stumbling block and i think your point eight about don't hold back from asking it i think wrestling with it having a conversation with it pushing it arguing with it not taking easy answers is important and um, it's an invitation to understand more to go further in to god and scripture Mm -hmm. so often we see god as a sort of rather weak maiden aunt 
you know, elderly <laughs> and frail, and he couldn't handle the tough, the tough things. You know, don't ask him that because he's not really up to it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. We have to protect God. You know, and there's that wonderful C.H. Um, Spurgeon thing of where he says, "I don't need to defend the." Bible. I don't have to because um, it's perfectly capable of standing up for itself, mm. and it and it has done, and it has done, and um, for a long while. And I'm comforted by the fact that if I'm struggling with something in Scripture, you're not the first person. You're mm-hmm. really not the first person to have come across this. Don't think, oh my goodness, I found something nobody else has done. The place I go to if I'm re- revealing my sources. I love the hard sayings of the Bible, which is a, a branch of the IVP website. So if you head over to IV Press, as I think it is, ivpress.com, they have a whole area there on hard sayings of the Bible. Mm-hmm. That has got me out of all sorts of difficulties <laughs> over the years. It began with F.F. Uh, Perus. Yeah, the hard sayings of Jesus. The great, um, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the great you know, scholar. And they've expanded it to the hard sayings of the Old Testament and now the hard sayings of Bible. And you'll be hard-pressed to find a bit of scripture that is a struggle that isn't in there. Mm. And so much so, they actually do a hard saying every day, if that interests you. So we can challenge it, we can argue mm-hmm. with it, and we can find answers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm very much like the idea of you know wrestling, and mm-hmm. these are invitations for prayer, right? What what is this? One of the most helpful resources for me has been a book by a Brit, James who I'm sure you know, Nick Page. You sound surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to leave that. I'm not going to respond to that. Just as well. (laughs) But his book, uh, it's kind of an interesting title, The Bible Behaving Badly. And I actually, Mm, I don't know that it's printed in, in the U.S. I had to order it. But, oh, man, that was just so helpful for me as a resource to kind of understand its entirety and and kind of where it's going. And it it, it was really interesting because it, it left me really eager to to read, which yeah. w- what a great gift. And reminds us for what it is again, the uh, author and title. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes as well as the other resources, but it's Nick Page, uh, The Bible Behaving Badly. Yeah. Yeah. What I like about his, his style is it's not academic, it's practical, it's applied, and he doesn't take life too seriously. I mean, it's got a attractive, uh, light style to it, wouldn't you say? It's good British humor all, all in it. <laughs> but you, you're right. I mean, he's very academically astute, but he's writing as oh, if yeah. we're sitting, talking, joking, and he, he, he makes jokes. Yeah. Through. Well, I guess just British from that point, but mm. extremely <laughs> You allude to something there, Nate, that I would offer as one more bit of advice for dealing with difficult passages. And you said, as if we were sitting talking. We need friends in formation here, don't we? And we need mm-hmm. safe people with whom to talk about these difficult issues. And surely, we certainly want to direct people to their churches 
if they're if they are members of a church because churches may may have specific teachings on hard passages but to find some good friends of like mind with whom you can open the scriptures and pray together approach god together remind one another not to be afraid to hold hands literally around the circle and say what is god speaking to us here. We, we're not meant to do any of this on our own. We're, we're meant to do this in community. But engage, but engage, but do expose ourselves to it. I think, I mean, it, one thing that concerns me is we live in an age where we have, we've got all the helps mm-hmm. that we need. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many helps. We've never had a generation with as many Bible commentaries, daily studies, daily readings, daily this, now apps and everything else. And most of it is free nowadays. So we've got more helps than ever, but we possibly know the Bible less Mm -hmm. in our generation, actually. Partly your point about memorizing scripture because we don't need to now because it's all on screen. That's not the point. We don't need to, but it would be really good if we did Mm -hmm. because it helps to get it into us off the page Mm. and into our lives. Off the page and into our lives. I like that. Well said. Well said. Do you guys read out loud to yourself? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, at times. find that really helpful. Mm -hmm. Kind of odd. Yeah. (laughs) A little self-conscious, but really helpful yeah i was very impressed by your podcast nate with uh lucy shaw the wonderful poet she was saying to read poetry out loud it you know changes it i mean the bible was an oral that's right book several books actually (laughs) so that's helpful The Bible is good and good for us. And that takes me to the next question I want us to to consider about being good for us. We actually had someone write in and just offer this very quick question that is not at all quick to answer. He or she says, I've been hearing more about spiritual abuse lately. How widespread do you think it is? And what, in your opinion, are the key dangers? Mm. <laughs> now, I, w- I would like to add, that's an anonymous question, which is definitely something that we, that we welcome if people don't want to share their names. And maybe, maybe this person has experienced what they believe to be spiritual abuse and, and is afraid to share his or her name. I don't know. But I do think that the nature of abuse is such that it probably is widespread, and you're hearing more about it lately because we are finally talking about abuse in a way that we have not in previous generations. And it's a hard conversation. It's a conversation that, frankly, a lot of people would rather not have. I mean, it's, it's not comfortable to talk about abuse, is it? But it's a necessary conversation, I think, if, if, if there's going to be any help. I can start uh, on this one. How widespread? I think it's extremely widespread. Mm-hmm. And 
an interesting exercise to do is to look at cults, like really mm-hmm. extreme cults, and you can pick out some of the key features and then ask ourselves honestly, you know, do we find, you know, uh, some of these or where, where do we see these? Because I, I think it does fit a, a little bit on a continuum. And in one sense, it's, it's ripe for abuse because it's religion holds a position of power. Mm-hmm. We hold the answers to the mysteries of God and eternity. And, and that's quite a heavy weight and responsibility. Some of the key dangers, I mean, you see these themes, but when, when systems become closed, when this kind of only we have the real thing, this kind of us and them, don't question, um, when people are you know, kind of telling you how to think, check your, your brain uh, at the door. You see it if a, a, a kind of a charismatic leader who's setting the stage and, and kind of in a messianic piece of those, those things are, can be quite destructive. There's a, there's a lot here, but I, I think I'd go if, it, if your religious experiences lead you to be more like Jesus, you're probably on a, on a good path. If it's leading you to some of these really destructive uh, control and manipulation uh, outcomes, then it might be worth questioning a little. Yeah, and Nathan, actually, it might be helpful to start just by saying what constitutes abuse, not just spiritual abuse, but what is abuse? And I think the way I define that for myself, I would love to hear from you, Nate, with your with your background as a therapist. But I say that abuse is any behavior that reduces a person or an aspect of that person to an object something that reduces a person who is a child of God, beloved of God, made in the image of God, anything that reduces a person or part of a person to a thing to be used, to be uh, used for the purposes of another in particular, that can be commodified, something that can be bought and sold or used and used up. Whatever form that takes, I think that's abuse. Do you have a, a different definition that you would offer of abuse? I think that's a great that's a great place to start. I'll frame it sometimes in terms of boundaries. That abuse is is a violation of someone's boundaries, mm. which fits I think well with what you're saying is that you you objectify someone mm-hmm. whose boundaries you're you're violating. But whether that's physical, sexual, mental, or spiritual, that when you're uh, infringing upon someone else's autonomy and um, agency, then I think we're in danger of objectifying and and, and abuse. Mm. To me, it's um, watching out for coercion or control. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what I'm looking out for. Is It's the same things you're saying, but coercion or control. Is the person being controlled or am I being controlled? Let's make it personal. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see it a lot, I'm afraid. I see it a lot. And I think people don't recognize it. We need to name it to call it out. And I would say it's not a preserve of one section of the church Mm-mm. either. Mm-mm. Don't say it's the other church or other people. No, no, it's it's in our own bits of church, actually, as well. And um, Christianity, religion in general, there's something about attracting people who want to exercise coercion or control over others. They abuse the kingdom for that. 
they take advantage of it. And so many bad things can happen in the name of you know, Jesus. You know, so many bad things can happen in the name of Jesus. You can excuse, cover up, blame, all sorts of things which are bad in the name of Jesus. And we just need to be very astute about this. Mm-hmm. So I also think it can happen in the world of spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be very concerned about it in the field of spiritual formation because whenever you're opening yourself up to someone speaking into your world, there's a potential there for abuse. Wherever there's a power imbalance Mm -hmm. between two people, that's where you want to watch out for a power imbalance. That power imbalance could be age, an older person with a younger individual, perhaps below the age of consent. That's an obvious one. Power imbalance, if you've got a church which has got particular views on you know, gender and headship and male domination, there's a power imbalance. Mm-hmm. I'm educated, I'm a pastor, I've been to college and you haven't, so let me tell you mm-hmm. what should happen. Um, hierarchy, authority figures, I mean, you know, we can go on here, but we're looking for places where power imbalance is going on and we need to speak into that and um, of course if it's happening the advice is get out get out you're exactly right the best advice for any abusive situation is to flee right and yet i think that spiritual abuse specifically can be very subtle i mean there's so much at stake right so it can be for instance let's say well, I, I, for instance, helped a number of years ago, helped to plant a church. So we have this brand new church, right? I'm so grateful to say that at this brand new church, I've not seen any spiritual abuse. We're blessed to have had two wonderful pastors. But imagine a situation where you have a very zealous pastor who's planting a church and he has volunteers working for him. And the, the mission is we, we, must, we must win the city for Jesus. Lives are at stake. You, you know, what do you mean you can't be there Saturday morning? What do you mean you can't work all day Saturday? What do you mean you can't also be back on, on Sunday? What do you mean you can't be available Monday night? And those boundaries that you talked about, Nathan, it's so easy to think of people on fire wanting to work for the Lord but then being very subtly led into ways of work that are actually destructive to their souls because there's no rest until finally they realize that they are being used and abused. And sometimes the fleeing ends up looking like people just leaving the church entirely because they associate the abuse they've suffered with the church of Jesus Christ, right? I don't want any part of church. That's where I get used up to the point of being of no value myself. It's a tragic situation, and I think it has happened a lot of times starting from pretty good motives. 
We want to win the world for Christ, right? And that means we work ourselves to death. No, that means we give ourselves into the care of the Lord. And then we share the love that He shared with us with the others whom He has placed in our path. I mean, so often, I don't know if this happens in Britain as much, James, but so often in the American church, the emphasis is on size. We've got to have a big group of people worshiping. We've got to have a big building. We've got to have lots of money. We've got to have lots of people being baptized or whatever. More, 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 more. Well, more isn't always better. Sometimes it's just more. And abuse, it's just a situation that is absolutely ripe for treating people as if they were objects, means to an end, instead of souls very dear to God. And that's not just vulnerable individuals as well. It that's right. To anybody, this sort of idea that it's only a vulnerable individual who can be abused. I mean, they certainly can be, and we particularly want to protect them, vulnerable adults as well as you know children. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing how other people can be as well. So we want to watch out for that. A couple of resources, a couple of um, books that might help. Mm-hmm. Richard Foster's book on money, sex, and power. Mm-hmm. The title in the States, remind me what is the it title is. The in Challenge the of the Disciplined Life. Is that what it is now? Yep. Yeah. The Challenge of the Disciplined Life. Yeah. Well, those are the big issues mm-hmm. the money issue the sex issue and the power issue. So in broad ways, he goes into this. But in more particular ways, I've been very helped by a book called Escaping the Maze of Spiritual Abuse Mm. by Dr. Lisa Oakley and Justin Humphreys. And it's pretty just out last year or so. And it's a very comprehensive look at this issue. And I think we need to call this out. I think we need to be operating at very high standards. And I think those of us in the spiritual formation world need to keep this very much in the center of our concerns here so that we don't get involved in that at all. Exactly. Another resource that I would point to online, a website, the man by the name of Wade Mullen, so um, his website is Wade T. Mullen, that's M-U-L-L-E-N dot com. One thing that he says that I find so, so succinct is that spiritual abuse leads to confusion and captivity. But of course, in Christ, what we have on offer is freedom. So back to our goal of becoming more like Jesus. It's what we want for ourselves. It's what we want for our loved ones. This is what we want to offer the world, the increasing freedom of becoming more and more like Jesus. And there's just no place for confusion and captivity there. All right. I got a resource too. A little bit different. Mm. Have have you guys seen the movie, The Book of Eli? Mm -mm. Do you remember this film? Oh, it is good. It's it's older, Denzel Washington. It's very disturbing, post-apocalyptic world. Mm. It, I mean, it's not an expressly Christian film, although 
<laughs> one of the most profound Christian yeah. films I've, I've seen. The, the short of it is post-apocalyptic world. There's a villain. He wants nothing more than a Bible. Because if he can get a Bible, then he holds the keys to rebuilding society w- with him in control. Mm. And it's a great film, although quite violent and disturbing. But for me, it, it helped me to step back a little and to go, oh my, we're dealing with incredible power hmm. to control and manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and, and I, I, I got to quote you, James. So be, be careful where you <laughs> point this thing, right? The, the, the Bible, it's, be careful with it when we're tinkering with uh, such mm. power. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that it be used only for good not as a weapon, right? It's the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who can be entrusted <laughs> with, 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 this, with this sword. So great conversation, guys. I'm so grateful to get to explore these difficult questions with friends. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Renovari's Friends in Formation. Head over to renovari.org where you can find lots more helpful resources and the show notes for today's episode. You know, we'd really love to have your questions. Please send them to us at friends at renovari.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org.